You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Tweet Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. You can always contact the show, ask your questions and comments, nice ones, we hope, to our mailbag at letstalktorah at gmail.com. That's letstalktorah at gmail.com, and I will answer as many as possible. The weather is amazing. It's got to be like 60 degrees outside. Here we are getting uh, past the midway point of November, and I can walk outside without a coat. Okay, this morning I had a coat, but uh, this afternoon the weather is just gorgeous. You know, if you needed to make an outdoor wedding, you know, this is great weather considering um, with corona there's not too many places you can make weddings and people making outdoor weddings. So if you happen to have a wedding today, you picked a great day. Speaking about weddings, um, here's something uh, to think about. The, um, this week's Torah portion is the Torah portion of Toldos. We're going to have the birth of Esav and Jacob. Um, we are also going to have where Isaac and Rebecca move to the area of the Philistines because there is a hunger going on in the land of Israel. It says the second hunger the first one was when Abraham came. Now there's another hunger, and Isaac is going to make his way to Avimelech. And Avimelech keeps an eye on Isaac and this Rebekah, who supposedly is Isaac's sister. And he remembers the last time with Abraham that he was told that Sarah was Abraham's sister, and he took her to marry her, and God sent a plague on the house. So this time Avimelech is being a little more careful. So here's something you got to wonder. How come Avimelech didn't know that Isaac was married? Didn't he get a, an invitation to the wedding? Now, you may say, why should Avimelech get an invitation when Abraham is making a wedding? I'll tell you why. Because we learned in last week's Torah portion that when Isaac was born, actually it's two weeks ago, I'm sorry. Two weeks ago's portion, when Isaac is born, so it says when Isaac was born, uh, on the day he was weaned, so let's assume he was two years old, now he can start uh, learning Torah. So Abraham makes a big party. The commentaries explain what does it mean, a big party? It means the great people of the generation were there, and Avimelech is king of, a, of, a, the, of the Philistine area. He's invited. So as a side point, I, I'll, I'll never forget this, I hope. Um, when one of my children had his circumcision, trying to remember which one it was. Oh, yeah, it's my son in Israel right now. So it's going back a good 22 years. So he had had an eye infection. So when he, I guess after he was born, got an infection or something. So the circumcision was pushed off. Originally, it was scheduled for uh, Labor Day. And instead, it was a week later. So I thought it was going to be Labor Day. I thought I was going to have a huge crowd. Instead, um, his circumcision was in the afternoon because as soon as I got permission, we, we took care of it. And it was really just a small crowd. It was pretty much uh, fellow teachers. It was uh, a rabbi boxed of blessed memory. 
he was the one that held the child. And so I got up to speak. And I, I, what I wanted to say was that I thought it was going to be, you know, big party. And instead it was a small, it's a small party because God likes things that are private. That's my, that was the point they wanted. So as I'm saying this speech, the, this rabbi boxed, basically says under his breath, but it wasn't under his breath. It was loud enough to be, for me to hear. He says, what do you mean? which means a big meal, it states by Abraham. Now, he knew that I better know this Rashi that I just told you, that big meal doesn't mean a lot of people. Big meals by the, the people that are there, that's what makes the meal big. You have good people there, important people there, special people there, you're surrounded by fellow teachers, that's a big meal. The number is irrelevant. However, that is not the point I wanted. So clearly, Avimelech was invited when, uh, when Isaac is weaned. You would think, if you're on the invitation for a kid's birthday party, don't you think you'll be on the invitation for the kid's wedding? Right? I mean, that would seem to make sense. And if Avimelech was by the wedding, then how come he didn't know that Isaac was married? The answer has to be that for Abraham... There was no need to make a big party for a wedding. Wedding's very nice. Boy, girl, get married, have a family, very beautiful. No reason to have a big party. When Isaac was born, he wanted to tell the world the miracle that Isaac was born, and now he's two years old, and he'll be able to teach him Torah, and he'll continue on with Abraham's legacy. That's something you make a party about. But so he got, he got married. Big deal. So clearly, when Isaac and Rebecca got married... It wasn't in the papers. There was no big deal made about it. And Avimelech wasn't invited, and he didn't know. And therefore, it led to later in this week's story portion where he almost would have tried to marry Rebecca, but uh, he found out beforehand that she was married, so he didn't have any problems. Okay. So that was something I saw, something I thought was fascinating, something good to think about, especially now with corona where a lot of people... Um, cannot make large weddings. When I say they can't make large weddings, they're not even making weddings for 150 people or 100 people. You're in backyards. You're 25 people. You're 50 people. They're small affairs. If it was good enough for Abraham and Isaac and Rebecca, it could be good enough for all of us. So it's just a, a, a nice, important thought. But we got bigger and better things to talk about in this week's story portion, and that is... The following question I would also like you to think about, and that is, is there ever too much prayer? Is there such a thing that you prayed enough, you asked, I mean, let's think about it, right? Um, You ask your boss for a raise. You ask your parents for something. You ask your children for something. At what point do you become a nudge? You know, I am, besides that we have this wonderful podcast and I'm a teacher, I am also a fundraiser. And one of the things I know, and I'm sure salesmen go through it all the time, you can't be a nudge. I can call you once. I can call you twice. I cannot be calling all day long and re-asking all day long. You will never talk to me again. You may not talk to me even if I don't do that. But certainly if I do it, I got no shot. So is God any different? Is there anything wrong with just asking and asking and over? Do I become a nudge? I asked already. God knows what I want. Stop bothering already. He told you no. What are you bothering for? 
So this is a very, very important question, and I, I, the answer is even more important. It's, it, it's how we live. And the answer, obviously, is there is no such thing as too much prayer. We know, by the way, that all the matriarchs um, were barren. They all had difficulty having children. If they would have doctors nowadays, those doctors would have said, stop wasting your time, you can't have kids. And, and it, so why did God make all the matriarchs barren? He wanted the prayers of the, of the matriarchs and the patriarchs. He wanted all their prayer. God wants prayer. Some people more, some people less. But one thing to keep in mind, so you got to pray to God to ask what you're looking for. Now remember, God could say no. Right? Just like parents can say no when the kids bother and harass and ask over and over. And you ask your boss for a raise. He could say no. Right? You, I go as a fundraiser. I ask people for help. People could say no. God could say no. I could ask for something and be told no. My life is not over because he, God said no. I mean, a person is sick. It could be over, but okay. Uh, life is not over. You could be told no. You can ask. You can ask again. God could say no again. You could ask again. Like, again, on, on, uh, on the salesman's side of the picture, just because somebody said no doesn't mean you stop asking. You have to know how to get back to him or her. You have to know how to re-ask the question. You have to know why they said no, right? That's the whole give and take of what salesmanship is. So we don't have to do salesmanship to God. I can ask. I can ask again. I can ask again. And I can continue to ask. And God can keep saying no. And I can keep asking. First of all, there's nothing wrong with that. Because, again, the whole point of prayer, one of the points of prayer, is for me to build a connection with God. I know that God is the one that can take care of me. God can choose to say no, and I can choose to keep asking. But as I continue to ask, it changes who I am because I recognize that God is the one that's deciding what's going to be. That connection, that this that I can talk to God and I can ask, that is what prayer is all about. And a person should never think, that there is a point where he should stop. Because what if, what if he just needed one more prayer, one more ask, and God would have said, okay. For example, there was a, uh, there's the famous um, story with the wife of Obadja, or Ovadja. Ovadja was a prophet, and he himself actually worked for a king called Ahav, and he had... Um, he hid 50 prophets in one cave and 50 prophets in another cave, and he fed them. You know, he had to come up with money. He borrowed a lot of money. When he died, the debtors came knocking on his wife's door, and they said, we're going to take your two kids. So they did take the two kids. Uh, you're not going to pay us. We're going to get our money. So the wife of Avadi went to Elisha the prophet, and she said, you got to help me out. And, okay, that's the case. He said, what's in the house? And there's this uh, jar of oil. So he said, get all the pots. And she starts filling up pots and pots and pots. They fill up so many. Every pot in the whole village was filled with oil. And Elise said, sell this, pay off your debts, and live off the rest for the rest of your life. Now, it's interesting. Um, I don't know if it's a medrash. Um, it says that she actually prayed 265 times asking for God for help, how she's going to get her kids back, how she's going to pay off her debt. 265 times. That means 
if she would have just prayed 264, which is amazing, sorry, the answer is no. When you ask 265 in her case, when you get to that magic number to, for her, 265, you're going to be answered. Moses wants to go into the land of Israel. He prays 515 times asking for God that he should have permission to go into the land of Israel. Now, God said after 515, Moses, you got to stop. Because God didn't want Moses to go into Israel. Sounds like if he would have continued to pray, God would have been stuck. That's what it sounds like. Either yes or no. But um, but as Moses didn't stop just because God said no 514 times. Until God had to tell him, it doesn't look nice. You keep praying and I keep saying no, it just doesn't look nice. So therefore, you gotta you got to put it off to the side. You're not going to get it. So this idea... When somebody needs to pray, there's no such thing as asking God too many times. You can ask, and again, and again, and again, and again. God could say no, but it doesn't mean I stop praying. Sometimes God says yes faster. Sometimes God says yes a little slower. Sometimes you don't get the answer you want. But there's nothing, absolutely nothing wrong. We pray as many times as we could. And let me give you one more in this week's Torah portion where it actually discusses this concept of not giving up. So I told you before, so Isaac and Rebekah, because of the hunger in the land of Israel, they go to the land of the Philistines. That means technically the land of the Philistines is not really Israel. I'm not sure what you call it. Maybe it's no man's land. It's not Egypt. It's not exactly Israel because we know that we talked about last week that Sarah left that area to go to be in Hebron so she could be buried in what would be the future land of Israel, but she didn't want to be in that Philistine area. Anyways, so Isaac is there. He actually becomes quite wealthy. He's very successful. Uh, um, His fields, even though it's a hunger, his fields, his specific fields are growing a hundred times more than what is normal. Now, people started saying, you can take this uh, as, you can use any words you choose. I will not. But... um, told my class today, um, the fr- people were saying, because Isaac's fields were so successful, that a bag of Isaac's fertilizer is worth more money than a bag of the king's gold. Now, in those days, you didn't go to Home Depot and buy fertilizer. You just had your animals go to the bathroom all over the field. That was fertilizer. So I'm sure you could rephrase it in a way that's much more um, entertaining, um, and you'll just have to do it yourself. In any case, um, Abimel became jealous, people became jealous, so they ran Isaac out of town. In those days, you can't survive out of town unless, again, he has a whole family and, uh, and he has wealth and sheep and cows. You need water, right? In those days, even nowadays, but we think we have water because we just turn on the faucet. But in those days, you had to have some type of well, some type of spring. So it says over there, Isaac dug, or Isaac's servants dug one well, and there was fighting over it. And he gave it a name, some type of name for fighting. They found another well. And again, there was fighting over it. So again, he had to abandon it. And he gave it another name with fighting. And then he dug a third well. And the third well, he called Rehovos. There was no fighting. It was like peaceful. It was, he, was, uh, he was able to relax. So first things first. The, the first thing we learn out of that is you don't give up. I tried once. I tried twice. I'm not doing it no more. No. You tried once, it didn't work. You tried twice, it didn't work. 
So now try a third time. We don't give up. So like I'm telling you, we don't give up with prayer. We don't give up with anything. Anything that's worth doing, and they supposed to say it's worth doing well. But there's nothing wrong with trying again. Try another business. Try another business. You didn't uh, understand this piece of Talmud? Try it again. You didn't understand it? Try it again. What do you think happens when I study? So I was telling a rabbi last night, I... Um, I, I felt I didn't have enough time in the morning for my studying, so I, I'm waking up about a half an hour earlier now. So it's beautiful. Now, instead of a, you know cramming in 35 minutes, I give myself a nice hour, maybe an hour and five minutes, and I, I, I'm not covering any more ground. I'm not getting any further, but I, I, can, I can digest it. I can go over it. I can go over it again. I can go over it again. And sometimes I don't get it, and I got to find time at night, and I got to say, I'm going to get this right. I am going to focus on this, and I'm going to work it through, or I'm going to ask somebody for help, because we keep working. We keep trying. That is how we do things. So um, I'm trying to figure out how much time I have left over here, because we have so much stuff to do. It's unbelievable. I'm going to skip a little bit. Um, we have the two children are born. We have Jacob and Esav are both born in this week's Torah portion. And it is fascinating. The, it says that till they were 13, you couldn't tell the difference between them. Till they were 13, they both studied. They're kids. So this one likes to hunt a little more. This one likes to sit in his tent and study a little more. You didn't really see the personalities of these children come out. Once they turn 13, Ace of, not completely, but he starts going more towards the hunter and not studying as much, and Jacob becomes much more focused on his studying. And, of course, from there, that leads to um, Ace of, or Esau becoming a full-fledged um, mobster. Murderer, criminal, thief, you name it, except for honoring his father. He was king when it came to honoring his father. But Esau goes his way, and Jacob, of course, goes his way. That doesn't really take place till they get a little bit older. Um, if Sam Shavol Hirsch says a powerful thought, now, on my own, I would never dare say such a thing about the great Isaac and Rebecca. You can't, these are... Is our greatest ever. But if Sam Shemuel Hirsch could say it, and he wants to say this is the lesson the Torah is pointing out, then I can say it. And that is that there's no one size fits all. You know, that's a problem a lot of times in school and education. You know, we, we have one way that we think works, and it's my way or the highway. And when you say it's my way or the highway, you could get a Jacob, this amazing, unbelievable, the greatest of the forefathers, and you could also get Esav, who from him has come so much. He, his family destroyed the Second Temple. We were, we were under their rule, and they were so, 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 so destructive to the whole Jewish fabric. And if Sam Shavuot says that you cannot have a one-size-fits-all. Yeah, you have this fantastic student. He just wants to study. You, gotta, you make a program for him. He just goes and studies, and you whatever it takes. And then you have the one that has a hard time. He can't study. He's got to be out in the field. He's got to. He's gonna work. He's gonna go into business. He's gonna be cutthroat. Whatever he's gonna do, right? You need a different program for that child because if you do not create 
a different educational program for that child, he'll become a gangster. Sorry out there for all my gangster fans. He'll become a gangster, become a mobster. Who knows what he could become? We know what Asa became. So Samuel Valeri says it is it is it is imperative. It is it is the obligation of parents and teachers and administrations, even though it's hard. You have big schools, you have thousands of students, and uh, it's easier just to say, you know, the the children that fit the mold that fit that fit right into that round hole, we take care of them. As soon as they don't fit so good, we don't we don't really deal with them. They have to go out and 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 deal with the social workers and who knows what. And we don't have time for them, and we're not equipped to deal with them. That of Samuel Fuller Hirsch says is why there was a Jacob and an Esav, because. Isaac did not understand this idea that it can't be one size fits all. And with that, I'd like to tell you a very fascinating story. Um, Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky, um, he passed away in the mid-'80s. Um, so when he, he came from Europe, when he came from Europe, he was, he was already a rabbi, and he, he, he originally came to help uh, collect, and eventually he became rabbi in Seattle. From Seattle, eventually he made it um, to the East Coast, where he became head of a school, and uh, he was uh, one of the greatest uh, rabbis from the last generation. I was in his house, and um, when he was in Seattle, so they were having a problem, you know, supporting the day school, which is fascinating in itself. That uh, in the nineteen late late nineteen thirties, um, there was a day school, a Jewish day school in Seattle. What's even more amazing is they actually studied Talmud. So, um, anyways. The, the, one of the jobs of the rabbi was to um, sit by the board meetings. I'm not sure if he could actually comment by board meetings. He says, by a board meeting, and one of the board members gets up, and the board member says, you know, my mother taught me that when times are good, when we're prosperous, so you can have butter on your bread in the morning for breakfast. Have bread, have butter, enjoy breakfast. When times are not going so well, you're going to have to cut out the butter. You have to cut out the butter. You can only afford bread. You only have bread. So our day school right now is is in the same situation. We're having great difficulty funding the day school, and we're going to have to make some cuts, as painful as that may be. We're going to have to stop teaching our students Talmud. We're going to have to cut out those rabbis because we cannot afford Talmud, and Talmud is like uh, butter. It's extra credit. At least they'll know Torah, Bible, maybe a little Mishnah, they won't know Talmud. Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky is listening to this uh, board member, and he's sitting there thinking, there's no way, there's no way that the other board members will go along with us. <laughs> sure enough, the board members all went along with it. He couldn't believe it. He didn't know what to do. But he is the rabbi. So one thing rabbis all have is all rabbis have a pulpit. So Rabbi Kamenetsky... That next Sabbath, he gets up um, and he begins his, ser- his uh, sermon and he's talking about Jacob and Isaac and how till they were 13, um, they were both pretty similar. And he talks about a famous Mishnah. The Mishnah says, we're not really ready to learn Talmud till we're 15. Again, we do start Talmud when children are probably 11 or 12. But really, really, Rabbi Kamenetsky said, the brain is not mature enough to understand Talmud until it's 15. Well, we all know that 15 was the age that uh, it, where the main break between Jacob and Asa began because it says Abraham passed away 
when Jacob and Esau turned 15, so that Abraham should not see how Esau is going to become a gangster. That means still 15, he was fine. Once he had 15, um, he wasn't fine. So Rabbi Kamenetsky says, you know, you want to know why Esau wasn't fine? Because by 15, he had stopped learning Talmud. He stopped learning Talmud by the time he was 15. Since he stopped learning Talmud by the time he was 15, he became Esau. So he says by his pulpit, he says, so let me ask you, my congregants, the board wants to discontinue learning Talmud with his students. If we stop learning Talmud with his students, then instead of having the Jacobs of the world, you're going to have the Esau's of the world. Well, you can imagine that that speech went over quite well, and therefore they did not cut out Talmud study. Okay, music is playing. Hope you enjoyed it short and sweet. Thank you to all the sponsors and listeners. You know, I can't do it without you. Thank you to the production team. We have David and Kelsey in the back. I have left you some food for thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on NRM Streamcast. Until next time, don't forget to think about it. Things from far.